The first job I got in the video game industry was when I was still a computer science student. There were several coincidences leading to me getting that particular job. Around that time, having a mobile phone was starting to become very common. Not only that, these were also the times when mobile phones started to become more than just mobile phones. And then, very rapidly, phones became increasingly affordable, started to have color displays, cameras, internet, and very early forms of apps, including, of course, games. Before that, games and phones were very primitive, but still fun. I spent countless hours playing Snake on my Nokia 3320. I remember having the notion that Nokia phones were cooler than the Motorola ones because they had games. By 2006, phones as gaming devices were not an uncommon thing. Now, this is the pre-iPhone era, so it also wasn't super common as it became after the iPhone and the App Store a couple of years later. So when I heard that a company that made games for phones was coming to my city, I was both excited and a little bit confused. Up to that point, I had always lived in generally the same geographical area of the world, northwestern Mexico, specifically right at the border with the U.S., our office was located practically at the border crossing, so close that our test devices could pick up the American carrier's signals. The company needed programmers, and lots of them. They brought coders from all over Mexico and also hired local university students. At first, it was a bit surreal because before then, my lifelong dream of making video games was in my mind starting to seem like an unrealistic goal. My first job there was to port games from its original platform, which was usually one of the fanciest phones on the market, to a wide array of devices. The complexity of that kind of porting back then was that each phone had its own quirks and conditions. They all had different screen sizes, buttons were mapped differently, some were very slow or couldn't display transparency well, or just needed something weird to work. Also, the code had to be very lightweight and we had to be very conscious of memory management. So a lot of what we did was apply different optimization techniques, some well understood and many others, well, let's just say we got very creative with our solutions. It was a great job for me back then. I learned a lot about making games, but the best part of it, without a doubt, was the people. We had a great bunch. It was in this environment where I met today's guest. I'm not sure how exactly is it that we became friends and remain as such, being that we are so different, but today's guest has been a good friend of mine for more than 10 years and has been there on the good ones and on the bad ones. He's an avid gamer, talented programmer, and of course, a big fan of Bonus Barrel, I think. Join us this episode where we have a little bit of an awkward conversation about games and life and all sorts of different random topics. I'm Seiji and this is Bonus Bonus Barrel, episode 12.
going to explain to you the format. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, but I always like to start with a little game. I'm going to say a word and you are going to respond with the first game that comes to mind. Okay? Okay. All right. So the first word is home. Oh, fuck. Um, Zelda? Um, yeah, which one? Zelda, A Link to the Past. A Link yes. to the Past. All right. Uh, childhood. Um, Super Mario Brothers. Joy. Starcraft. Motherfuckers. Friendship. Starcraft. Family. Family. Um, I guess, what's it called? Uh, Smash Brothers. Which one? Um, Melee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Love. First one. Contra. Shit. <laughs> Contra. <laughs> All right. Uh, hate. Mm, uh, Madden NFL. I don't know. <laughs> Some shit like that. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>, Madden. <laughs> Hope. Um, uh, what's his name? Anticlone. Really? <laughs> yeah, in your face. <laughs> yeah. Last word. Uh, best. Super Mario 3. Okay. Interesting. I guess we can just talk about why I wanted to talk to you. And you are... Uh, so it's weird because I don't have a lot of like friends, right? Yeah. But over the years, especially because I have moved so much, I've made new friends. And then, uh, you know, when you move away or when you or time passes, naturally you stop frequenting or, uh, you know, talking to some people. And then naturally over time, your like, real, real good friends, they stay. Right? Mm -hmm. And you're one of them. And also, you've, you're super involved in video games. You work in the industry for a number of years. And then you always go to E3. And I know that you play games and you've always played games. So I thought it would be interesting uh, to talk to you because... You love me. That and I feel that you're going to bring something new. So in Spanish, I always call you by your family yes. name, which is Parra. But in English, like, how, how do you present yourself in society? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that. Do you go by Luis or do you go I, by... I don't like Luis. Uh-huh. So you go by Conrado? <laughs> they can't say Conrado in English. <laughs> so? Well, how do they call you? They call me Luis. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. It, it is, is, right? Yeah, having four names not easy. Right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always have to explain that to English-speaking uh, people. And the concept of the paternal last name or family name and the maternal mm -hmm. one. And then it's even more confusing because Brazilians or in the Portuguese tradition, mm -hmm. they also have a paternal family name and a maternal family name, but they have the paternal one at the very end. The last name, it matches, right? Like last name. Ah. But in our case, it, no, doesn't, it doesn't match it... because I say my two last names and then they think it's my mother's one, but I have, you have to explain. Anyway. Yeah. So I always like to start like now the real real thing with your first gaming memories first gaming memories um oof, i remember shit man my cousin gave me an atari 2600 uh, and that was maybe nes times back in i don't know what was it 90 or something how old were you i have no idea maybe it was like six or seven so it was like mm -hmm. 90 and he gave me his old 2600 that he didn't use anymore Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the first console I know I had. And I played Centipede and stuff like that. 
Um, I remember also one Christmas, my parents got me an NES. I guess used NES because I remember it. So the NES had been out for four or five years. Uh huh. So those are the first two consoles that I have. I just really remember playing the same games a lot of times. I still have those games around here in my in my room. Oh, nice. Uh, I have Contra, Castlevania, Super Mario Brothers 3, Super Mario Brothers, Punch-Out. Not the Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Mr. Dream Punch-Out. Mr. Dream? I thought that was a normal Punch-Out. I didn't know. I thought it was the other way around that Mike Tyson was was like special edition or some shit like that. Because, <laughs> you know... I knew one person that had Punch-Out and they had Mike Tyson punch out like, wow, this is so cool. They have this special Mike Tyson edition. But mm-hmm. fucking no, I had the weird one after the rape <laughs> version and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, the old Mexican meme about going to buy tortillas and keeping the change to play in the arcades. That also plays a big part of my memories. How so? It depends because, you know, you go to your grandma's house and, you know, you, you knew the arcade and every house you visited, you know, not the arcade, but the, oh, the arcade, <laughs> the store, <laughs> the, the tiendita that had arcades. I don't know if you've ever mentioned what we call arcades here in, in northern Mexico. Maquinitas. Maquinitas, little machines. Little machines. That's what, that's what <laughs> we call arcades, so. We also call maquinitas the um, gambling machines, right? The how do you call those? Yeah. Um, in English. In, uh, slot machines. Slot yeah. machines. Yeah. So it will be kind of like... I work in right? a fucking casino and I had to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. So you're mentioning that... Oh, wait, wait, wait. You mentioned that you are looking at your games right now. You have them at your current address. Yes. You mentioned you have your NES stuff, but you didn't mention your Atari stuff. Oh, man. That, that shit I lost because I'm a, I was a dumb kid. So I don't know what happened to that. But you got them at around the same time. How come Yes. you kept some of it and then specifically like the Atari stuff you lost? Like, it's why? easy, Seiji. Uh-huh. The NES is so much fucking better than that piece of shit Atari. Uh-huh. So you feel that way? Uh, Yeah. You know, it's true. I'm not throwing away the importance of the Atari, mm-hmm. but NES is so much better. Well, I didn't grow up with an Atari. Never had one. I play oh, okay. one much, much later, and I knew it existed, but I don't have any kind of nostalgia for it. But it's a piece of shit, right? Well, it's difficult for me to evaluate. I, I mean, people do like it. I find it Stupid very like primitive. It. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you get video games around age six. Yeah, now, I think so. if I go back in my memory, I can remember vaguely and kind of fuzzy, but I can remember stuff from earlier in my life, like maybe three. So... There was this point in your life where you have some memories and then video games arrive at your life. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. My first memories in my existence are not video games. That's for sure. Yeah, correct. So... <laughs> yeah, my first memories are like shitting my pants and stuff like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you have that memory? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't go <laughs> that far back. Um, I think it's convenient, right, that you start developing like actual memories that will last for the rest of your life once you get control of your... Bowels. Of your bowel <laughs> movements, right? I don't know, but you, you're saying you you don't? Oh, or I mean, you have memories from when, you know, you didn't have control over that? Oh no, I shut my pants at kindergarten. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't count if you're a baby. <laughs> Kinder- <laughs> kindergarten. And... Uh, well, you know what you just mentioned uh, mm-hmm. brought a, a spark, a, 
a memory in my in my mm -hmm. brain. So we get in. Uh, I remember being in primary school, and we had uh, one of these special days where the teacher was not yelling at you because you couldn't write letters. So we had a, a little picnic and stuff like that, and then we came back to the classroom. We watched uh, the Super Mario show. I remember that. <laughs> so yeah. I was like five. I remember that at five. So at five, I knew what Mario was because I don't remember like, oh, big guy in red shirt with mustache singing stupid songs. I know it was Mario and Luigi. And uh, I think there was a Zelda episode. I remember. There were Zelda episodes on that shit, right? Yes. And how do you think you knew who Mario and Luigi were if you hadn't had contact with video games yet? That means I did have you must have, right? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I just had another fucking memory, man. Bam. <laughs> so, this one time, I was way younger. I remember my mom went to a store or something. And my mom, is she was a young mother. Uh, she's she's always been a bit, um, you know, if you think I'm crass and, mm -hmm. and rough around the edges, mm -hmm. well, I know where I get it from. Okay. So... <laughs> She left me alone, home alone, to go shopping or something, right? Uh huh. So I knew where the Konasupo was. The what? Konasupo? You remember it, Konasupo? It's like a supermarket? Yeah, and guess what the Konasupo had? Maquinitas. One maquinita. One. One very special maquinita with a giant monkey throwing barrels. Uh huh. So I escaped my home and walked like <laughs> 10 blocks. Uh huh. To go play Maquinitas Without Money. Wait, how old were you? Mine, like four. Four. I kid you not. And where'd you get the change from? I didn't have change. I was a stupid kid. Uh-huh. So you went there. And my mom was there. Luckily. <laughs> she found you there. Yeah. Like, what and, the hell are you doing here? And um, did you get to play Donkey Kong? Yes, I played Donkey Kong in an arcade cabinet. And that's probably one of the first times you played video games, if not the first. Yeah. Yes, maybe that was the first one. No, wait, at age four, you had this goal of going to this faraway supermarket. Yes, an adventure, man, wait. for a kid. I vividly remember the maquinita cabinet. Yeah. You have this goal of going there yes. to play this thing. So probably the first times you played games were at, like, arcade machines. Yeah, probably, yeah. Very, very young. Yes. Okay, so, well, later on, you get your Atari at home, you get your Super Nintendo, you get your Mario's oh. and stuff. What happened? Seiji. What? I'm a tragic, no Super Nintendo child. I'm a Genesis child. What? I went from Atari 2600, yeah. like maybe, or 50, I don't remember. To the NES. NES. Uh-huh. Sega Genesis. Why? Because my mom didn't write, brought me a fucking Super Nintendo. Oh, so you didn't ask for... for I a... asked for a Super Nintendo and I got a Genesis. Oh, I see. Which I still have. And? How was it different? Well, you know, I Sega Genesis Master Race, man. Really? 
<laughs> no, you... but but it was I loved it. I loved it. It's what I had. Uh huh. Did you have discussions with your friends? Yes, of course. About I this? was disappointed when I opened the box and it was black instead of gray. Beautiful. No, but once you got into the Sega camp, were you like you know battling with other kids for the superiority of your platform? No, that would be stupid. <laughs> no, but I um you had them over, you know, it was a little bit different experience. They wanted to play the Sega Genesis. Um you had friends that had that had the the same misfortune as you had. That, you know, um they ran out of out of Super Nintendo's and and JC Penny so your mom bought you the Sega Genesis. How do you know it was bought at JC Penny? She told me. <laughs> she told you they had none so yeah exactly Here. she told you yeah. i said what the fuck is this was this was this for a christmas present yeah christmas present christmas morning you open the box you expect you know, see a big box you ask for a super nintendo you know it's coming christmas morning you yes. you, you, you did christmas mornings at your home you know what we went to our grandma's house party christmas eve Christmas Eve, right. the dancing, yeah. the drinking, the same bad words. Yeah, so let's clarify some things. So in Mexico, as opposed to the North America, or I guess... In where? In Mexico. What's that? Hey, don't start with that. Cause... I, I'm a Mexico man. Yeah, but if you if you do that, if mm -hmm. you start calling our country, Mexico, with a Spanish name, mm -hmm. or rather Mexican Spanish name, mm -hmm. then you have to do the same for all the other countries. So you have to call Japan Nihon, and you have to call... Let's do it. Uh, Finland Swami or something like that. I don't know. Well, let's so. then call it that. I don't mind. I don't mind. <laughs> no, man. You yeah. have to follow. You have to follow the standard. It's the same. It's the same in Spanish. Like, let's say we're speaking in Spanish, right? Uh -huh. And we we have to call the United States United States instead of Estados Unidos or. Are you yeah. an American from the United States? No, but it's customary so that people understand you, right? Fuck the people. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway, you say, don't don't you feel weird when you say Mexican? Say no, because of what the reasons that I'm that I'm telling you. You don't feel you... weird at all. No, not even the first time you said it. No, I'm used to it. Ah, you sold your soul, man. Also, you know, you know, now that I I went to Mexico City, I bought a book. Yes. Right, it's a whole book about the history of the name of our country. All right. So it's not that so I don't have an appreciation for our country or its history, mm -hmm. because if you get really, really technical, then you will be calling our country Mexico, right? Mexico, okay. But anyway, that is that what they teach kids in school, Me Mexico? No, I'm just saying. The, the the sound of X back then. I know, I know, I know that. Okay, fine. I'm just saying. Anyway, I don't it feels super it's... weird. Fine, that's fine. You say okay. Mexico, I understand, and I okay. think most people would understand. But you see, if we make other countries change the pronunciation of our... Sage, I don't want anyone to change. I'm just saying as being Mexican. Fine. I wouldn't mind if a person from the U.S. of course said um, USA or the United States or whatever instead of saying Estados Unidos. Or from Canada saying Canada instead of Canada. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? That That's just me. And I'm a weirdo. You know that. And to, no, I think most people would think like you, and I've heard this argument before, but to me it's more like, well, you're using a different language, mm -hmm. so it has a different set of rules, a different meaning for stuff. So if you do that for this particular word, then you have to be consistent and do the same for other cultures. That's my, that's my take on it. 
I that's why I say Nihon. <laughs> yeah. Popcorns. Yeah, like 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 I don't know how to say, for example, China in Mandarin or Cantonese, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen it written, but I don't know how it, how it's pronounced. Let's move on. <laughs> let's, let's fight it. Fight night. Yeah, let's move on. Sorry. So where were we? So Genesis. Genesis. And then did you get a Super Nintendo later on? Never. I've never had a Super Nintendo. And how come you, you, when we were doing the exercise and I said the word home, you said a link to the past. Because I played a link to the past. It's one of the best games ever. How did you play this game if you didn't have sprints in it? There's there's this thing called humans say you have this thing called friends and family. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I had my neighbors had uh, Super Nintendos. I was surrounded by Super Nintendos. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you were the weird kid. Yeah, I was the weirdo, like okay. always. Gotcha. I'm the one that hangs out with Seiji at work. I'm the one that... We'll get to that. I remember my cousin for his birthday. He got the Super Nintendo bundled with A Link to the Past. I remember very vividly. We were we popped the cartridge in. It clicked. We powered it on. And it went blink. <laughs> and all that beautiful shit. And I say home because I guess... Those first minutes in Hyrule just feel like home, man. You know, and it starts at a home, at a house. Okay. And that little green pasture and the little hut and all those starts in a storm and stuff like that. You know, that, I don't know, that just, that's what home feels to me, I guess. Um, so you played Genesis at home. I guess we played Sonic and Street Fighter, those kinds of things. Exactly, man. You fucking nailed it. And then at your friend's home, you'll play A Link to the Past, uh, Super, Super Mario, Mario World, World, that kind of stuff. Yes. Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, because I I, I didn't have Mortal Kombat ever. Were you in the Mortal Kombat camp or in the Street Fighter camp? You know me. I'm a jack of all trades, so I think both. When I went to the arcades, I would try and play both. I was mm-hmm. sucked at them. Equally. Oh, and also, in Mexico, there would be this third option... Of King of Fighters. Yes. Which, to my knowledge, is not very popular here in North America. I had a friend who had a Neo Geo. <laughs> really? That that guy, well, yeah, that guy had money. He <laughs> was a baller. He got his dad to buy him a fucking Neo Geo from a magazine, Japanese magazine or some shit like that. It's amazing. So, you're probably the only person I know that knew someone in those times that had a Neo Geo. Yep. And he had, like, two games. <laughs> <laughs> which ones? Uh, King of Fighters 94, I think, and I don't remember the... Or was it Fatal Fury? I don't remember. King of Fighters. I like King of Fighters quite a lot. But it's much more complicated. That's like the big kids game. Did you beat the Cholos? Huh? Did you beat the Cholos? You know, I played this game mostly in emulators. Oh, okay, okay. You know, uh, (laughs) when I I was in in, middle school around uh, 12 to 15, right? Or something like that. So we had our computer lab. We had Fancy. Of course. You know me. Mm-hmm. I roll with kids that have a fucking have fucking Neo Geos and lions. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you about my neighbor had a lion? A lion, like yeah. a actual lion? Yes, a lion. I think you 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 said something about it once, but I thought you were joking. No, my neighbor had a lion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um. Wait, 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 wait. Is it the same kid? No. Okay. No, no cool. he wasn't. No, there's no such kid. 
Okay. <laughs> no such king in the world had as a lion and a new Jew. <laughs> okay. So we um we had a computer lab. We're secondary school, and we had a I don't know how it got there. So we had a Game Boy uh emulator, and we had King of Fighters, King of Fighters for Game Boy, and uh-huh. and we used to play the shit out of that game at that computer lab. <laughs> and um, we figured out how to copy it from one computer to the other, mm-hmm. which is weird because you know it was like it was like I guess it was like three floppy disks or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. There was no there was no internet, kids, back then. So you would have had to use like a compressor and then uh, split the file. It was probably a very small file. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, but I remember we we probably had three and a half inch floppy disks. I don't know how we figured it out. I I just know that. We started copying it, and we were, like, all playing at the same time. Like, oh, I beat him, and oh, I got Mr. Karate, which mm-hmm. I think was a secret character or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. So, and that was cool. So, were, were all your friends also playing games back then? Yes, yes, of course. Kids. But there was no kids. such thing as the concept of being a gamer, right? Yeah, no. Nope. You were just kids playing games. I and think that happened when you grew up, don't you think? When you became an adult and you were supposed to stop liking that stuff. Yeah, did, did that happen for you and your friends? Did your friends just stop playing games? Some of them did. And? And, and you? Me? Well, you know me. I'm mm-hmm. a dork. So, no. And so, wh- wh- when is this? What? When did it dawn on you that, you know... Uh, I guess, I think maybe the, when the N, maybe the N64, the GameCube came out? How old were you? Uh, N64, what was, 97? <laughs> It came out in ninety six, and I, then it the GameCube came out in two thousand one. I don't remember which one. But you were in high school or what? Yes, yes. So you, I, you were in high school, and then you were like the nerdy kids still still playing games. Not not really. Don't I? I wouldn't call it that. But um, how would you call it? I would call it um, the the maybe not the one that was playing big games because. Maquinitas, you know, were, were still very popular, so everybody was actually playing that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I would call it the nerdy kid that was awaiting the launch date for the console. You know what I mean? That maybe that. And back then, where'd you get your your news from? You magazines? know where I got it, and you've said it before here on the thingy. What magazines? Uh, no Maria. Oh, the TV show. TV yeah, show? You, we had this TV show in 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 public television, right? Yes, Nintendo Mania with Luis Rodriguez, which I met at E3, and he is a very nice guy. (laughs) Really? You met Luis Rodriguez when? Yeah. Recently? uh, Maybe. I I think I I met him twice. So, I didn't go last year. So, it was at least three years, maybe? Three or four years. And then Mm -hmm. we we met him uh, after that once. Mm -hmm. Did I I tell you the time I saw Shigeru Sama? No. I was fucking pissed. Pissed? Because I see him walk the uh-huh. only time. At the floor of E3. At the floor of E3. Uh, the back. Back of the floor of E3. Because Nintendo always um, has like uh, their booths or their areas way back in the... They're at the edge of the convention center. Mm-hmm. They have like this little area where they have like uh, like a small cafeteria or whatever you call it. The restrooms and stuff like that. They have access, quick access, right? So they, they get into the do- doors, back doors, and get get to the booth and it's probably uh, how many meters? maybe they have to call cross 15 meters you know it's a big huge ass place right so 15 meters nothing but you know 15 meters and then they get to the booth and that's it they don't have to cross through the people or anything like like steven spielberg did because i i guess he's a he's a baller and he has to 
walking to the front door. So uh-huh. um, I'm there. My phone is dead. I'm trying to charge it. Uh-huh. And I'm like plugging it in because it's fucking dead. And I look up and there he is in all his majestic Japanese-ness. Miyamoto-sama walking. And I just like look at my phone and I look at the skies and I say, fuck you, universe. Fuck you and your fucking ass. <laughs> okay. And he just walks in, and he, there's like the, Nintendo has two booths, like the the actual public booth, huge. Um, I wouldn't call it booth. I don't know what to call it. You know, the show, the show area or whatever. And they have this the a little smaller one right next to it, and that's the where they do the VIP stuff and all the PR stuff, and where you sign in if you're a journalist and shit like that. Or like if you're a, you know, you're doing a TV show and you sign in and they have this little area next to it. And he, you know, he disappeared into that, that, that little, there's like a little hallway between the both, both booths. And he just disappeared in there. And I'm like, oh, motherfucker. There he is. And I didn't get a, you know, it wasn't like, what am I going to do? GL Miyamoto-sama and run to him. Like, they're going to fucking shoot me. Like, (laughs) so I was just like, you know fuck and and i like man i've met reggie so many fucking times like what shit i want one one me a model you don't have photos with, with these people right with reggie maybe and uh, who, who cares about reggie <laughs> he's a whore had obviously this love for video games and gaming and, and, and it's part of your identity you would say and then did it have any sort of influence in what you decided to pursue as a career maybe but not I, I wasn't conscious like you are I know your story yeah but you are you, you studied computer science right yes why because I wanted to be a, a, a graphic designer and pay my own studies in graphic design and you wanted to be a graphic designer yes so you started engineering yeah but you had this artistic inclination back then. i you know me i'm always scribbling i'm scribbling right now so i i when i was you know 14 or whatever i said oh i want to you know draw for a living or something like that you know so i said oh uh that graphic design sounds sounds interesting that's what that was my goal, no? When when I was a, a kid trying to see what the future departed. So I said th- I thought, oh, this programming stuff is easy, writing code and shit. This is easy. I can I can do this for for some money and pipe and then uh, be a start computer engineering or computer science, whatever you want to call it. And you know it's a nine semester course. I'm a I'm a fucking genius, so I'll I'll finish it in eight because uh-huh. I'll do, I'll do in summer classes and stuff like that. I'll kick it in the butt in eight semesters. I'll start working. I'll pay my own uh, tuition for the private school and and get into graphic design. Did you ever think of having to do anything with making games back then? I don't think so. Maybe mm-hmm. you know as a dream. You know how kids you know they all dream with that crap. Uh huh. So of course I it, that thing was in my mind. Yeah, but you went to engineering, or were you playing games in those times? Yes. More seriously or more casually? 
Um, I think maybe more seriously. This, is, is this where you picked up StarCraft? I picked up StarCraft in high school. In high school? Yes. Because you were really serious about StarCraft, right? Uh, nah, yeah, why not? <laughs> when did you start playing like PC games? Oh, well, in, in school. In, in high yeah. school? No, no, I mean like in primary school. Because oh, really? I studied um, uh, a couple of, uh, of years in, in the USA. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Uh, and they, we had uh, computer labs down there. Some mm-hmm. played some Carmen San Diego, and some <laughs> edutainment. Yeah, edutainment. Uh, the games with a little B, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I don't remember. I just remember the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Carmen San Diego and some like word hunting shit, like for doing um, like spelling bee stuff. So those. Oh, you know what? Ah, oh, crap. My mom bought me a computer, and that thing was packed with games. <laughs> From the start. From the start, yeah. And I don't even remember who helped me set up or anything. But I remember they taught, they showed me the games. And mm-hmm. they had, like, Wheel of Fortune games. And we're talking DOS games. So, let, let me just get this straight. So, even in those times, you're, you were all over the place. You were playing your home consoles. You are playing arcade. You are playing at PC you know, edutainment kind of games, and then also, like, actual PC games. You were mm-hmm. all over the place in terms of gaming. Yes. Hmm. So, I guess that transition when when the internet comes and you start playing on your PC more. W- were you also playing home consoles uh, in your university days? Or mostly PC? No, I think uh, I... Yeah, I was... I, I played some GameCube, and... What was after the GameCube? Well, if, if you're talking specifically about generations, you had your fifth generation with the PlayStation, the N64, mm-hmm. uh, Saturn, and then... You... And you a kid who had a Saturn. <laughs> and this is the same kid with the Neo Geo? Nope. Different kid. Okay. Um, so, let's move on a little bit. How come you started working in the industry? Um, I was probably my last year in university. Yes. And they have, uh, like, they come to university, they give a lecture, they talk about the company, they show videos, and we, like, lost our minds. It was, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Are we going to get the chance? Because, you know, or at least that's what, I, that's, that's what I remember thinking. Probably not thinking about work or anything. I was just, you know, dealing with my school and stuff like that. And, you know, I had heard... You know, rumors, oh, they're going to open a video game company. They're going to open a video game company. And like, what? I'm like, no way. No way. Because um, I guess, you know, I was a kid and it, it sounded like far away and stuff like that, you know. Who makes video games? I don't know. Japan. And, <laughs> and they make them far, far away. You know, distant land. Yes. Um, so they come in and they give this lecture and they they just say hey, you want to apply come in come in uh-huh. do the test and and we'll give you a, we'll get you a job and a little time passes let's say a few uh, weeks few months i think a few months a couple right. of months okay and rulas gets a job our our good friend rulas never forget never forget we'll get to he, that he took a bullet for the team 
Yeah, he did. <laughs> Several uh, times. <laughs> yeah, he's always getting that bullet, man. Uh, Rulas gets a job in there. Mm-hmm. Rulas, uh, which was my classmate. Rulas and Aldo, which were my classmates. And I was like, well, these fuckers can do it. Maybe I can do it. They just did a written test. Mm-hmm. A written test and a spoken interview. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You got in. And that's how I got in. You didn't do the... I didn't do the Puyo. You didn't do the Puyo? No. Okay, so a little bit of context here. So... You and I, yes, at the time, were living in the same city. I was studying at a different university. Say the private for the rich kids. It was very stressful, man, because I had to keep my, my scores up. Anyway. You're a fucking nerd, Say. I, I lo- am. And you love that shit, so you thrive for getting A's. I know you. Where Are they A's or 10s? Hundreds. <laughs> Hundreds? Oh, wow. Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah, it was 0 to 100 scale. Anyway. It was it's still very stressful, but we were living in the same city, and then, it, I don't know if you get this sense, but w- what you were saying, I I wholeheartedly agree that living there where we're living, like all the, it seems like all the cool stuff is done like elsewhere, like far away, and it's quite inaccessible for us. So making games, even though I I was trying to get there, it still seemed far away, and then all of a sudden, this video game company comes to our hometown and opens a studio there. They come to me to my university also. I was at class, and these guys come and they ask us, "Hey, send your your uh, your CVs and you know apply. It's very fun stuff like that." Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think we had a similar story where I felt that it was either too hard or too inconvenient because also at the time I was I had a job mm-hmm. at the uh, the tarp factory. <laughs> I was in the IT department of this uh, company that made. Oh, I remember that. Uh, plastic tarps. And I remember that. I didn't remember that. Well, I yeah, just... I was working there at at the time, and even though I had a scholarship, like studying at the private university was expensive because I had to pay a little bit of it. So it was good for me because I, I was getting a little bit of money. So I didn't and you want have to, to move. So you had to pay rent and. Oh, yeah, because it, it's not my hometown, right? I yeah. live in a smaller town, much smaller town. So I was making it work, right? And and something similar happened to me. You remember um, Bob Porroe? Oh, yeah. We call Bob, him Bob. Who the fuck calls him Bob? We call him Bob. Oh, you call him Bob at school? Anyway, I don't know if I really knew him, but I knew he had that, a job there. And I knew that other people that I sort of knew from school got jobs there. And then I decided to apply. And back then... You send your CV and then they'll send you a test. And that test yeah. was to make a Puyo Puyo game in Java. Remember this? Yep, I remember that. Hard, but you didn't have to do it. I started Actually, it. I just didn't, didn't finish it and didn't think about it for some time. So this was my first time at like making a game that was meant to be played by some other people, right? Yeah. It was It was hard, but it felt so good to put something on screen, make it you know, move and work, and I was, like, getting some problems, like, why are the, the keys laggy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I, I, I got in, I think, a little bit earlier than you. Yes. Right? And I remember the first few weeks, in probably the first few months, I felt like I I had no idea what I was doing, and I was going to get fired at, at any point. <laughs> because everything was so... So it was strange because in the in the company that I was working on, I was mostly doing IT support. Mm-hmm. So the stuff that you have to do is very clear, right? The printer doesn't work, or the user my email 
inbox is too full, so you have to go and do a backup. So everything is very yeah. kind of straightforward. Like there's complications, sure, when you get to the database stuff or the browser uh, got stuck in porn site. You know, you know what? We we have real problems <laughs> uh, regarding um, that kind of issues. Anyway, but when I joined the the video game company, everything is so is so strange because I don't know. You have to set up a lot of stuff, right? Yes. In the beginning, you have to set up so many uh, like tools and programs and uh, making things compile. It's it's a pain. Yeah. And every project was different. Yeah. So just for a little bit of context, what we did in this particular company at the time was to port games, right? Anyway, yeah. that's how I started. You me too. We had two types of projects. The one type of project was to to make an old game work on new devices, right? New devices are going in the market. Now, remember, this, is, this was 2005, 2006. So there's no smartphones or anything like that. So all these... All their devices are like slow and they're all different. Some have like Not, the phone keys will send different codes and all these kinds of things, right? A so you have to six by a hundred resolution. Correct. You'll make this these games that are old make uh make them work in all devices, and then there's other types of project where you get a new game and make it work on a bunch of devices, right? So that that's what we did, right, for a while. Yep. So how was your experience joining the company? Um remember what you said about being afraid, not knowing where you do it, you're yeah. doing, being afraid of being fired. That was me for eight years. <laughs> Why? I don't know, man. You, you just, you just swing it. You just swinging. Close your eyes and swing. Um, I came in no expectations. No, it's just like, oh, it's cool. I might get a job at a video game company, and and then it turned out into. Into like a dream job, you know, uh, wanting to go to work, um, hanging out with this, these people, um, doing some, you know, being part of something that, you know, they're, they're, they're enjoying, you know, because it, 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 in a certain way it was like, maybe I'm being idealistic, but it was more than a job. It was a little bit of a dream for most of us, you know, because uh, a little, little bit of extra info is that there's people from all over the country. And not just from from our hometowns. We were the we were the local boys, but there was people from all around. You got to work with people from around the world, and you had to get um either send sources or get sources from people from around the world. Trade fixes um, with people from Romania or or uh, Indonesia or um, fucking China and stuff like that. Um, and France, of mm -hmm. course, and it, it I guess it evolved, and you know you became friends with these people, and it was weird thinking about leaving because it was it was like second home or something like that. It was they just made it so easy to for you to like it to work there. I think except for the money, when you get hit with that, it's like oh shit, the dirty yeah. money. Um. Before yeah. you went into this job and knew, you know, the nitty-gritty about making games, and then afterwards, mm -hmm. did you idealize how making games would be? I think I had no idea. No, I had an idea because I remember we being once in class and in, in programming class, I think it was second semester, 
and one of our teachers which had a uh she she was famous for being uh being a hard ass writing your ass or whatever you want to call it um she said we were like on the first day of school or something and she said oh we're gonna we're gonna have you guys make a super mario and i was like what the fuck how the hell do you do that shit you know you know it was like a 18 year old kid like what the hell i don't know how to do that i'm never gonna know how to do that and then they they teach you about threads and state machines and you say oh okay mm -hmm. so it's just this little shit doing it again and again and again and again the same the, the, the main the loop. thing it needs mm -hmm. to do yep the main loop um yeah so for a little bit of context a main loop uh, the control structure is a loop so it's looping so it's doing the same thing again and again and again based on a certain condition and we call it a state machine because in every loop you are at a certain state we call it right so if you're yep. if you are in this particular state you do this this logic and you paint a certain stuff on the screen based on that logic and then you clear the screen and then you paint it again and again and again and again and depending on the on what's happening in the game logic those states change right am i did i simplify it correctly yeah from a yes. from a coding point and of view yeah programming and for our monkey eyes you know it all yes. looks pretty so for me, I'll tell you my experience and maybe you can relate to. So to me, making games or playing games was more about the idea of how it felt to, to play a game and what I was imagining in my mind, like the story and that kind of st stuff. And when I see people talk about games and uh, telling their ideas for games in the world, that it matches a lot how I what I thought making games would be. But then you get a job in the industry and it's all about, hey, the game's running slow right oh or this particular yeah. there's a dead pixel on the screen right so it has it has like nothing to yeah. do with with the game idea but when, when you get one of those bugs yeah. or a chance to to modify you know actually uh you know oh uh if you go to level this level it will go to the next to it won't progress mm -hmm. to the next level or you cannot uh the mechanics of the last boss are messed up when you get one of those bugs it's like christmas morning you think they're like fuck yeah, no, don't, it wasn't it for you. Like actually, not not fixing. Oh, you have to move this shit a couple of pixels or or Menus. whatever. Menu box. It's like when you, yeah, menu buttons. When you have an actual, you know, mecha uh, part of the mechanics bug or um, the the map doesn't progress the way it should or some stuff like that. Wasn't it like like aren't those the ones well, you remember? One of the projects that I. Uh, that I remember having a lot of fun with was uh, like a Castlevania kind of clone, something of something of darkness. Ah, uh, okay. And I had to do a lot of yeah. mechanics adjustments. Uh, I, re I remember. That was that a cool one. one. It was a good. It like the the games that yeah. we were working on were really well made, and I remember doing camera adjustments and and mingling with the tools with the sprite editor and all that kind of stuff. So that part of it is mm -hmm. it was fun. Like, don't get me wrong, I. I liked that job. I liked it a lot. I worked there for almost three years, I think. And I had a, a great time and, and it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. But it was very technical in nature. Like the stuff that you were saying has very little to do with what I do right now. Now that I moved, because I was a coder, a porting engineer, whatever. And for... For a number of years, I worked as an engineer, you know, making games from a technical point of view. But you don't have a say on, on the mechanics, on the, what the game is about. It's more like making no. it work the way it's supposed to, right? Yes.
Did I ever tell you the time I put myself in a in a, in a video game? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell this to anybody, okay? Okay. So it was 2010, and the World Cup was around, right? Uh huh. So we had a, of course, we had a, a World Cup game. So um, remember they came back with the they came out with the black shirt for Mexico for the, yes. the team. Uh -huh. So we were like, hey man, why why aren't the shirts black? And it was like, well, we don't know. You know, it wasn't in the document or whatever the producer said. It's not in the document. Blah blah blah. Like, fuck it, man. So we made the the shirts black. Uh-huh. At least I did. I don't know if my I don't I I we did, I, I did a lot of stuff that bothered me. My 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 coworkers, my teammates. I was uh -huh. the lead of that project, and I don't know if they stuck with my changes. Uh-huh. But I know I did. So <laughs> I, I put the black shirts in, and then we were like, hey man, uh, they had they had made up names. The players they didn't have even like actual Spanish names. They hadn't made up weird names. But this guy is like. <laughs> Uh, -huh. uh San Chimon or some shit like that. So we write this long ass email, we send it to to France and they say no. <laughs> well But you did it anyway. I, I didn't give a fuck and I put myself as one player in the in the Mexico team. Uh -huh. And I gave him the black shirts and I so somewhere around the world for some time some kids were playing in their shitty cell phone. I got a gift <laughs> of, of, of me scoring a goal in a game. And it's a sparra. We, uh, I was saying about how I saw games before and then after. So to me, it was like more about having just fun with the games. And then afterwards, after that process of getting very into making games. So now every time I, I'm playing a game, I'm always thinking, how, how was that made? What is the design idea behind this and stuff like that? So it's more like I'm I'm analyzing the kind of thing, and I do it. I cannot avoid doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Did you did you have some a similar experience now that you know how games are made? Yes. Mm -hmm. I have you... to say that um maybe the 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 root of all this is just you know talking to you, being friends mm -hmm. with you. Um, with me. Yes. Why? Because you are the type of people that won't shut up about this stupid shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I remember you used to show me all this stuff, and we used to discuss it, and we ping-ponged ideas, you know, back and forth about ideas about um, this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I like seeing what the game is doing and think of another w different way of doing something similar. Or, or a way to do it better, or thinking, oh, oh man, if they had only done this, you know, this little tweak, mm -hmm. it would be so much. This game would be so much better. And being now uh, uh, like a software engineer doing desktop applications, stuff like that for for users, my experience gave me this this um, view of trying to make it fun and trying to make it easy. And trying to make it an experience, and trying to make it look pretty, and and then I discovered that you know um, this is like called gamification or something like that, mm -hmm. and it was like oh shit, I had no idea that our talks and us working there would would change our way to do stuff to that extent. Yeah, I think that one thing that it does at a more practical level for me anyway is that. Whenever you're putting stuff out there, you're imagining 
the person that is going to interact with the stuff that you're putting out there and you don't want them to have like a bad time like a difficult time using it right yeah you being a gamer yourself and you know being on the other you know knowing what's going on behind the 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 show you know the the curtains and being as i said a gamer that so you you, you have the experience of being on the other side being the the vessel in which you know the the experience is poured and so you want it to be poured you know correctly beautifully in, in an appropriate manner so that you know it, you have two sides you have to have a passion i guess for it to because at the end being at Senko it is it's being considered an art and and i believe it is how do you think the people that you knew in this new environment was different from the kind of people that you knew outside of it i think passionate is uh is one word mm -hmm. to describe because again we were young kids first job for many of us yes uh we were starry-eyed lovers of video games we had all you know all our future you know before us and to a lot of us it wasn't just a job you know it was a dream like you said like i know for you it was a dream mm -hmm. for me in a way it was a dream that i didn't know probably it hadn't you know materialized like you did yeah um hey a uh, quick question about that uh nintendo Vania letter yes did you send that letter or did someone else send it and you just got the reap the reap the goods at the time i wouldn't make that question it's a it's a question that i was incapable of asking yeah. i was young so maybe it's like i don't know if it, if it happened to you but you can consume a lot of stuff you can understand a lot of stuff that is out there but until you don't have like a certain state of mind experience knowledge you cannot formulate certain questions about the world mm -hmm. so to me I, games were the same as cartoons and a lot of other media was was just stuff that existed and i t i think that until i read that letter particularly is when i realized like oh games are made by people you mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah 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 i know it, that it sounds it sounds very very stupid no but, but you know what like you said cartoons right so yeah when you're a kid you have a notebook and you you do the little with the real the little stick man fighting yeah the little so you know what and they show you at the, you know it's very popular you know every other week there's a show that shows you oh this is how cartoons are made and you saw you see the 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 animators you know drawing on the on the on their desks with the light the backlight and stuff like that and but you never actually and you then you see how movies are made or stuff like that and you have an idea you don't know exactly but you have a sort you know there's cameras and there's people pretending and there's a guy with the with the stick with a little fluffy thing at the end you know mm -hmm. what the fuck is that oh that's a that's a microphone I'm like oh okay so why don't the camera have, what doesn't the camera have a microphone like like a like a video camera that you have at your house but video games you, it's very back or back in the day it wasn't very uh you never saw you you didn't see it you know oh this is a video game programmer and if you saw it it was what was it gonna greasy haired nerdy looking motherfucker with a bored ass expression in his face looking at pointing at a screen with letters mm -hmm. you know well, that's that's it it's the boringest thing ever mm -hmm. you know your notepad plus plus editor whatever you you did and you're screaming at the the letters at the screen like a crazy person 
mm-hmm. and and being um, sarcastic and nerdy. And yeah. I have like a this this image of where I might have seen it, and I think it's a Canadian show. You know, uh-huh. you know that that, that show um, where with the, the robot. Yeah, the robot one. I don't remember the name. I remember the robot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I think. Yeah, it had a lot of like clips, right? Clip, yeah, like, yeah. Clip shows, yeah. Clip shows, and and they would show you stuff. Um, they would show you like trailers of what was coming up, and they would show you like oh the new stuff, or they would show you like geeky stuff and mm-hmm. to- some shit stupid top ten, and um, and and probably there they had like a, a like a, a one clip of a guy you know of that greasy haired rock and roll t-shirt wearing douchebag <laughs> yeah yeah i think that the animation side of stuff the art side of stuff is very um, easy to convey because it it pays off really quickly right it's easy to understand visually yeah yeah but what we do it's like it takes time right it can take a couple of hours to put a dot on the screen and then you're thinking about how am I going to detect a collision on screen how am I going to do it more efficiently and then I'm going to pass these parameters into this other function which is going to take everything and you know add an offset or you know handlers and listeners and you know you we can go on and on and on and not not say not say any game related concept it don't make sense to no one and it's not fun to talk about it, um, but it, it's really exciting once you're understanding what you're doing because it really, what what we do sometimes in code, it's like art, it's like poetry. If you know how to read certain, I mean, sometimes I, when I read code from a mm-hmm. really good programmer and you're just like mesmerized, like they did what? And, but it's not, <laughs> it's not the same thing as, you know, playing a game and, and you get this particular experience about something related to characters or story or or something cool that happens with mechanics. It's more about how they organize this data so that it's easy to manage. You know what I mean? Or this particular function, a mathematical function that they somehow, it's super fast and they did this shortcut here to calculate a square root more, uh, like faster, yeah. more, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> because you were engineers, Sage, you were weirdos. Because that's the kind of thing that we did. Yeah, we like that crap. Sure. Anyway. Um, um and and for us, like you said, that that's kinda like like appreciating a uh, the technical side or the mathematical side, the physics of it, you know, it's it has its own beauty. And and you need some training to actually be able to perceive it and appreciate it and and it's it's a little bit it, it touches different strings than than a couple of gangbangers um, kidnapping your girlfriend in a video game, right? But and that gives you the feels, you know. When that that when that giant fat lizard steals your girlfriend, you get know, you get pissed. When those covenants start invading Earth, you say, "Motherfuckers, I'm gonna kill them, I'm gonna save the universe," shit like that. But but. Yeah, you know, and it, it's it's the it's kind of like the you know the beauty of of being part of it is that you know you 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 see the the you see the guts you see the blood and you still you still appreciate and you maybe you appreciate it even more because you know 
Yeah, and more so when you know that the the guy who had to code that probably had to do it like a hundred different times <laughs> because getting... of bugs, because of changes, because of I don't know, some asset wasn't behaving properly. I thought you, I thought you were gonna say asshole video game designer. Well, that's us, right? <laughs> well, the, the thing from from a, from, a, from a game design point of view is is that you. Well, I get to experience this from a, in a different way now, now that I moved into game design, which is that I imagine that this would work, right? And then you convince people that this is the right way of doing it, and then it goes into the production floor, it takes a few weeks or a few months to do it, then you play it, and it's like, uh, we need to adjust, right? And then you go through that iteration process in which you try to make it as close as possible to the experience that you imagined, but more often than not, the game wants to do a different thing, wants to be a different experience than what you were originally planned for a number of reasons. And so you had to adjust and make it as the best version of itself. That's why, and this is, the I think, the key aspect between someone that hasn't worked in games and they tell you your idea, and then someone that has worked in games, is that translation from what you imagine in your mind and then you go through this long process that it takes a long, 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 long it time. It crushes your soul. It crushes your soul. It leaves you scarred. Yeah. And then in the end, you're sort of like, you don't want to know anything. You, you, you get sick of it, right? Yes. So you just want to put it out there. So that's why it has even more merit when companies can consistently put stuff that is amazing out there because it's really hard to do. Yeah. Blizzard, baby. A Blizzard. Nintendo. You know, those kinds of companies that have it nailed down. Let's yep. move on to how we met. Yes. You and I had a friend in common. Yes. This guy that it was your, your peer at school. Aldo. And I had a good relationship with him. But then you started talking to me. I don't, I don't remember, like, even why. He introduced us. Uh-huh. And he said something like, this is Seiji. He's a uh -huh. weirdo like you. You're going to like him or something like that. Uh-huh. And you were you. So you were this very quiet, assholeish dude. Um, uh huh. <laughs> and, and was you, I? I, I? Yeah, I kind of have. But that's you, man. That's that's you being um, your robot self. It's mm -hmm. not. I'm just putting this this word to it. But you, you know. And you were calling me this way before everybody. Everybody else, yeah, yeah, I think. Something that I haven't experienced before, and as you mentioned, a lot of us in, in that particular studio, it was our first job. We're, we were around the same age. We had very similar experiences um, because of, of our backgrounds. I think something that made us bond a lot as a studio was, you know, going out for lunch, uh, talk about, you know, random stuff. You introduced me to a bunch of cartoons. You introduced me to Avatar The Last Airbender. The best TV show ever. You introduced me to The Office. The second best TV show ever. <laughs> <laughs> and and also we played a lot of games in The Office, remember? Yes. A lot of Call of Duty. A lot of Call of Duty. A lot of Unreal Tournament. Oh, we yeah. played a lot on emulators. Yes. Uh, um, Babo. Babo or Babo, whatever, Violent too. Yeah. The, we played a lot of games. It was that that was a lot of fun. Um, okay, bonus barrel. 
What do you think about it? Uh, How do you get introduced to it? I Was it me? I Did I tell you? Yes, I think so. I think you being your your robot self, you wouldn't say it. So you said something like, "I have a podcast," and I say, uh-huh. "What?" And I say, "Where is it? Show it to me." And you probably send me a link. Uh huh. And then I listen to it, and I'm like, "Huh, this is this is entertaining." Um, <laughs> how do you? But how would? I don't know. Like when when I started making it, I felt super weird, and mm-hmm. like sharing it was like. I don't know how many episodes in I told you I had a podcast, but what was your first impression of, of listening to your friend? You know, it be, being the way I, that that I was also like mm-hmm. kind of introverted, and then you know, you know, recording and stuff like that. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise, but uh-huh. you know, back in the day we had blog. Remember, you used to blog a lot, and I used to comment and read a lot. Mm-hmm. So it reminded you. Of I that. more yeah. So um, but I was surprised on your fucking your diligence in your. I know you. I know you. I know you're a machine, hard worker. Uh-huh. But like, what is is it every week, or what was it every week back then? It used to be, yeah. Yeah, and every it was week. like, how can they talk for every week and edit and all that shit and put in the music? Mm-hmm. And holy fuck, I was like, I was mesmerized, man, because most of the podcasts that I follow don't don't do that. They they, they what do you mean? Like they don't come up with a show a week. So to me, it was like, man. Seiji is like, he has a lot of free time. What's up with him? What's up with this cat? <laughs> so, but I, I found it very entertainment. I like the dynamic, uh, the how the personality, personalities um, contrast themselves, you know? How, um, how uh, Shelby likes the new games and the blowing up games. And I like Halo. Halo's cool. Mm-hmm. And so is Gundam. So shut up. I, I laughed a couple of times with the Cobb character. No. Yes, he's funny. Okay. He's a funny asshole. But you know, <laughs> you know, you know something that that I have, I I have trouble disliking people. Uh huh. So you know how like like I'm friends with you, man. Uh huh. I'm your best friend. <laughs> okay. Listen to this, people. I am Seiji's best friend. You know how I know this? Because. Because I'm stupid and I'm lazy, and and he still talks to me after all these years. <laughs> and yeah, so that's how I know I'm his best friend because all his other friends are are uh, intellectual and interesting people. <laughs> you know, I don't think that about you. Oh no, well you see me like an animal in the zoo, like people like see pandas. That's like <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> What's this thing? <laughs> What's this noisy thing? Um, so, what do you think is different? Oh, what is? What do you think is the identity of Bonus Barrel as opposed to the other podcast that you listen to? Main thing is that the centric theme of Bonus Barrel is video games, and he, what I like is that, like I said, you know, very different uh, outlooks on on video games or in at life. So you each bring something very different to the table. And I know you like you won't compromise, so you won't you won't agree with something that you won't agree. Is that you know, if that makes sense at all? Everybody has their own you know their their own personality, and and they they stick to it. So I tend to like to hear what smart people think. Any particular episode that you 
Remember? Um, I remember the sexy one for this year. I think. Ah, <laughs> sexy one. Yes. Valentine's Day special. Yeah, Valentine's Day special. Uh, I I have to admit that the BBB, I've liked it mm -hmm. a lot. I remember when you guys used to do the the Mario Adventures, the Mario oh. Mario Adventures, uh, the little book. Yeah. The the top video games. Oh, the BB One Hundred. Yeah, because where the fuck was StarCraft? <laughs> I think only left put that game in. Yeah, cause... because he knows his shit. Because it's one of the best games ever. Mm -hmm. And you know it. The mm -hmm. Korean people know it. The Korean Peninsula knows this. Uh huh. And even though you don't like it, like I don't like RPGs, like yourself, pretty much. Maybe even more than even less than you. Uh huh. I don't like RPGs. So. But I appreciate what they are, and I played RPGs. I played some RPGs, uh, mm -hmm. but but I still, you know, I I know that Chrono Trigger is one of the best uh, games ever and stuff like that. And Final Fantasy, you can avoid Final Fantasy and stuff like that. What do you think each one of us brings to the show that is like unique? Uh, Rob brings Cobb. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. And, and, and of course, his, his childish wits and fun. Mm -hmm. um, Jeff brings, of course, I guess a bit more serious or cerebral. And he has this, like, uh, he watches things giving one step back, I believe. So he takes a step back and he looks at the panorama and then he describes it uh, in a more calm demeanor. His, his personal preferences of, of strategy games and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, he has you know this this other worldview that, that maybe the other uh, battlers don't have mm -hmm. um, you being uh, the the house robot and bringing the technical aspects and getting all uh, nerdy technical specific I tried my best yeah good good that's the best you can do it's great um mm -hmm. And Shelby, uh, being a little bit younger, brings you know this 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 fresh outlook on life and and in a way she's like very very experienced like like the things she she's she ha she has like these these stories and these experiences and ha having um uh, you know the unique background of being being younger, wide-eyed and doughy and sweet and all that stuff um and you know being i think a little bit more of an otaku where you uh i that's the idea i get that she's a bit more uh, more more japanesey than probably the rest of the guys maybe not you because you know the 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 culture that you absorb you know it gives you Experiences that are are not yours, but you know, in, in a way, they make him yours because they make you feel things. So um, that makes her a little bit different in a good way. Mm -hmm. And she has a pretty voice. And that's it for this episode of Bonus Bonus Barrel. I hope you enjoyed listening to our friendly conversation. Next week, the main show will be back and will review a classic NES game with one of the best soundtracks. Thank you for listening.